I think business is an opportunity for us to offer those jobs um, and pathways professionally where people can feel like they're doing both, where they're making money, where they have opportunity to grow professionally and to build wealth and to also make a difference in the world. And that's exactly what I wanted that, that business paradigm to be. And it's exactly what we've done. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome, Closers, to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I have Lisa Wise with the Nest Empire on the show. Lisa, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Lisa, we've known each other for four or five years, somewhere around there. Yeah. Always a pleasure to be able to interact and see what you're up to. For those that don't know anything about your story and background, could you tell us a little bit about your company? Sure. I'm the CEO and founder of Flock DC, which is the parent company that came after the babies. Uh, Nest was our first inaugural brand. We manage about $2 billion in real estate. And our objective was really simple. We wanted a client forward, resident forward, uh, property management service that we offered that was very different, very attractive, very um, intriguing. Uh, we focused a lot on brand, image, presentation. Um, we showcased homes more like they were for sale versus for rent, and it really met the moment. People were excited about what we did and, and that we did it differently. We'd always been and were designed to be purpose-driven family of companies. Um, and over the years, we added more birds to our flock, and we started Roost DC, which manages HOAs and condo associations. We started Starling DC, which is a maintenance division, and then we have our philanthropy division, which is birdseed.org. Um, Birdseed offers housing justice grants. And so what we ultimately ended up realizing was that our birds were confusing people, and so we decided to create a flock. And so all of the birds roll up into one flock family of companies. And how many team members do you have across this family of companies? Uh, 70 plus. And how long have you been in business? Exactly 13 years. <laughs> it was just like an anniversary nearby? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we just passed 13 years. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. That's really exciting. Yeah. So Lisa, there's so much I'd love to chat with you about. But one of the things that sticks out about the way that you've chosen to build the business is that you've continued to add on, build, expand. And one of the questions that comes to mind for me is... What's that about? What drives you to to keep expanding? Is that about keeping the team engaged? Is it about keeping yourself stimulated with the work? Where does that come from? All of the above. Uh, everything you mentioned is really motivational for me. So I'm interested in exploring new markets. I'm interested in exploring new ideas. I love creating birds. I like thinking that everything's going to be much easier than it is. Um, but at the same time, I recognize that my role uh, in the company is to be a visionary. It's to come up with new ideas. I can execute and I can actually implement pretty easily, but it's not my sweet spot and it's not where I get my energy. Um, and so dreaming and thinking of how we can have more impact as a company, whether impact with our resident base, impact with the portfolio of architecture that we're protecting, whether it's impact with our talent and team or the community that we're part of, I think um, you know, the more nimble you are and the more evolving you are as a company keeps people engaged and excited about what you're working on. Property management can be same, same all day long, and it can kick off the same amount of profit you'd have 
year over year. Um, it doesn't need to be transformative, but when it is, it's a lot more interesting. And so I have very low turnover rates. I have people that have been with me since I started the company. Um, that's a long time. <laughs> and when we're looking at an industry that really experiences a lot of blowback, a lot of conflict, a lot of problem management, um, when you give people something to look forward to and something to get excited about, it can smooth over all those rough patches in the property management. When you say that, you're referring to internally for your team members. It allows them to... exactly. I think they get really excited about uh, the way that we've grown, particularly the the purpose-driven model that we have as a company. We consider ourselves a social justice company. Unpack that. What what does that mean? And what that means to us is that we put justice people in place over profit. So we believe that we have a responsibility to being anti-racist. We have a responsibility to creating good jobs that pay well and consider the whole person, not just the person as an employee asset. We believe that we have an environmental footprint and we need to be super sensitive about how we manage that and how we advise our our client base and our investors on how they're managing their environmental footprint. Uh, We need to give back to and contribute to the community. Um, Everything we do uh, can have impact uh, and it can have a positive impact and that's a choice that we get to make so we don't look at the bottom line until we've invested in all those other elements first lisa what i think is interesting about hearing you say that is that's coming out of the context of you running a successful organization that is growing yeah it would not be any less true or meaningful to come out of the mouth of somebody that was struggling to um, run the company but in the context of the success that you've had it can be viewed maybe less suspiciously for folks that were, that those things are foreign to or they don't see the place in business. This clearly has not been a drag or an anchor on your business. In fact, I presume that you view it as being the opposite and a net asset. To tell me about that side of it. How has, how has this value set been a part of what's allowed you to, to grow and fuel that? We get choices about the investments that we make. And we were sort of you know, I always say dealer's choice. We can do it however we want. There's nothing that's telling us we have to do business in a sort of formulaic way. We can do what works for us and we can experiment with whether or not that's going to be profitable. And I believe it was. I believe leading with your values and being purpose-driven and caring about, uh, you know, the community that you're part of, the community that you're relying on to support you and that profitability, that if you put those things first, everything else will fall into place. And, you know, some of the, the, operational threats will have it is that turnover it is uh training new people it is not delivering a stellar service and then the blowback that you get from that and so the only way i can deliver great service is if i have a really happy team (laughs) and the way to have a happy team is to invest in them as whole people so everything from our benefits program to encouraging them to spend and be paid for time where they invest in community with you know volunteer work or board memberships or things like that we're all in on that, um, and I think it's a, a lot more engaging for team members to be given an opportunity to contribute their entire selves to the work versus just coming in, clocking in, and clocking out. So if we can tap into their interests, then our our opportunity for getting the best work from them mm-hmm. um, and letting them have their best experience means that we can continue to grow and thrive and attract new clients. And we're doing that. We're you know we're we're creating more jobs, we're creating more impact, we can give more back. Uh, And so I think it's in some ways very much a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you care about the community you're serving, it will take care of you. And what does this mean or do for the recruiting profile of the folks that you're working with? I assume that this is a pretty strong filter for who who joins the team? Yeah, and you know, they 
a lot of the team members have really become ambassadors for what kind of culture and environment we've created as a company. You know, it really comes down to where you're making bold investments. And so I can mention two bold investments that we've made. The first bold investment that we made, which is really the investment that I made, was taking a 75% pay cut in March of 2020, uh, early March like the first, like this is the anniversary of my 75% pay cut. Um, And I did that so nobody on my team had to. And I did that for a long time. And every single day, I reached out to the team and I said, this is what we know and this is what we don't know, but I can guarantee you, you know, we are are good through this date. And it was the transparency and the willingness to take the hit first that I think created an environment where people felt valued and cared for and that they were uh, thought of before the owner or the boss. Um, that was a huge investment to make. Um, and also giving them a lot of space and latitude to just experience what was really challenging and hard at that time. Um, I could have burned them out. I could have asked them to do more. I could have asked them to put themselves at greater risk and I chose not to. Um, I chose to honor public health and, and their health ahead of my profit or even the success of my business. And I think that that did pay dividends, I think, in terms of the cultural commitment I made to them and that I, you know, walked the talk, made a difference. And, you know, we, we started 2020 with a mm. pandemic that was outrageous mm. and, ha- and continues to rage on. And then we saw George Floyd being murdered on, you know, television. So civil unrest in Washington, D.C. erupted in a way that I think it didn't necessarily in some other communities. We had... <laughs> January 6th, I mean, we're in a really complex environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we felt an extreme amount of pressure during that time. And our response was to open up our offices for Black Lives Matters protests and making sure people had charging stations and places to breastfeed and uh, take a break and use the restroom and during a pandemic and spacing people out. And my staff was there volunteering and very committed to that work. And we then launched a housing justice grant program for down payment assistance to people who are black and brown. And we dedicated $215,000 to that grant program and launched a year ago um, and have been able to successfully help people buy homes. That's another investment where you're not just sort of chatting about anti-racism and housing justice. You're actually doing something actively every single day. And each person on our, our team is invited to participate in that to whatever extent they'd like. And those opportunities, I think, marry people's interest in having a meaningful career and one that needs to pay well and one that has structure and Mm. one where you don't feel like you're kind of giving up one thing for the other. Um, I think the nonprofit world can often sort of come at the expense of financial, you know, basic living (laughs) needs being met because you're not making enough money. This marries those two. What's that about? Why? What's the mindset or the belief system that results in that idea that that's kind of necessarily true that if you're involved in nonprofit stuff it's it's got to be poppers wages etc do you think there's a belief system that drives that because you guys are doing meaningful work in your community that you guys find meaningful and it clearly is not resulting in people having to work for poppers wages correct so that's exactly why i went from spending 15 years in the nonprofit environment to starting my own company so i could just make decisions simply <laughs> um you know it's not true of every nonprofit, but I think that there's this assumption that you have to sacrifice something to work on 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 a career that that I think aligns with your value system. And I think business is an opportunity for us to offer those 
jobs um, and pathways professionally where people can feel like they're doing both, where they're making money, where they have opportunity to grow professionally and to build wealth and to also make a difference in the world. And that's exactly what I wanted that, that business paradigm to be. And it's exactly what we've done. What I find fascinating about what you're doing and the way I would articulate it is that you really own and have given yourself full permission to lean into doing things that matter in business and in your community, not viewing it as a tax or a hang up or something to slow you down. And so for you, you've, you've articulated specifically what that looks like, but it's going to be different for 10 different entrepreneurs. The common thread would be, but what is actually uncommon is giving yourself permission to think that your business can have an impact on the community. I think that it's easy to be cynical to view a lot of this stuff as like, I don't know, like, um, Maybe the way some people relate to recycling, like, mm. is it really going to make a difference? Is, is, is it going to turn any tides? Is anything going to change? You've leaned in significantly. Can you think of any firsthand practical examples where you've seen the impact with your own two eyes and it's really just made it feel palpable? Yeah. And I can offer that I'm very, I'm, I'm not a cynic. Um, I don't think I could be and try and, and move this needle, right? But I'm very sarcastic, so I get kind of the best of both worlds. Um, you know, there are different areas in which we've focused a lot of time and attention in serving partners in the community. Um, and one of which is an organization that's a federally qualified health center called La Clinica del Pueblo. Um, they serve um, a growing Hispanic community in Washington, D.C. that's typically uninsured, or they have insurance, but it's... Um, it's uh, city funded. And this has been uh, a community that's been left behind largely that has not been able to, to keep pace with uh, the obscene cost of living in Washington, D.C. Yet it's the same community that we're relying on to build all this housing that we're making money from. And so there's, there's something that's like in, in direct conflict when we practice in a way that doesn't actually support the people we lean on to advance ourselves. And that bothers me. Um, I do have a healthcare background. A policy healthcare background, and I was the board director, um, board chair for La Clinica for a number of years, and um, this is one of those moments where I thought things would be really easy, and I thought, well, you know, I had all these custom round tables made for the office, so we should just have a poker night, and we'll just do a little fundraiser for La Clinica. It'll be easy. And like fast forward five years, and now we have this giant casino night that we host for them with hundreds of people that come. And during the pandemic, we turned it into a virtual like week long, you know, giveaway and people bought tickets. And it was, I mean, it's like, it's an event everybody really looks forward to. And we intentionally put on like a large scale event for another organization. We raised between 80 and $100,000 during that event, and we cover 90% of the work mm. for that event, and the money goes to them for general operating. That's our responsibility, in my opinion. So that's not a plus-plus activity. That's We need to care for the community that's caring for us. It goes back to that investment. And so the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that we have raised over the years, um, that does make a difference. And it does create a level of um, spending security. So they're able to say, okay, we know we're, we can budget for this additional $80,000. That's a whole person. In fact, that's a, that's you know a nurse practitioner or it's three uh, technicians uh, if they need them throughout the day. So that does make a difference. Um, and that's kind of one example where we've made that investment in, in the community, not just with money, but with our time. Mm. So when I think about what you're doing here, I wonder how much of it is, it is specific to DC. What would it have looked like if you had 
you know, landed in San Antonio, Texas, or in Kansas City, how much of what you're doing do you think is unique to the in the unique environment that you're in, as opposed to another major metro metroplex? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's a question that I've been pondering quite a bit lately. I mean, I have, I'm clearly left leaning. Uh, and actually, I might come all the way. <laughs> this is more than leaning, right? I'm lying down. Um, <laughs> and I'm very comfortable with that value set. Right, and clearly. I also live in a city that's 95% Democrat. So mm-hmm. like, I'm really not offending anybody. When I put up a mural of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the side of my building, which I did, everybody was excited, uh, with the exception of a handful of people who, who were haters. Um, so I have the sort of a backdrop for that. That's not hard for me to achieve and accomplish in Washington, D.C. proper because the politics are so favorable to my own <laughs> political leanings. And, and we're, I think, encouraged and seen as as kind of champions for being openly political in our environment. And so that's an asset. When everybody's sort of political, mm-hmm. that's uh, certainly a, a something that's relatable, I think, for our client base. It's relatable for our, our residents as well. So many of them work in politics or in the nonprofit world or they're engaged. And so I think that that makes a difference. It sets us apart. It differentiates us. I think differentiation is an essential part of, of creating a business that's going to be attractive to other people. That might not be attractive in another environment. So how do you achieve a sense of justice without um, crossing lines around making people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm not interested in expanding services to all kinds of folks, right? That's fine. But I also believe that if these are our values and someone wants to self-select not to work with us because they don't share those values, then that's fine. I've done some some advanced research for them. And so they can opt out. Um, And if you lose talent, say there's some really hot talent that you may lose as a result of that, you're fine with that too. Yeah. It's part of the whole totality of the picture. In in the end, you feel like the the, the calculus, it it pencils and it... Yes. I also think that there's just an enormous amount of market share. (laughs) So it's like, if that's how I'm going to differentiate my company, and that's the identity and the brand that I favor the most as the dealer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that dealer's choice, then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to make a way to make that work. Um, So we do. We're, We're now launching a national company and a national brand. And it it too has a social justice leaning, but the way in which we're going to advance that language and share that out will, I think, be a lot tamer because we'll be in different markets that may have less of an appetite for, for very bold social justice um, language and collateral and the rest. But we, you know, we, we made a public commitment as a public benefits corporation for that brand to make sure that we're helping people achieve the dream of home ownership, that that, that is a, a, an obligation that we made um, legally when we incorporated a company and, and, you know, there are ways of, I think, being seen in, in, not in conflict too, but in just in support of community being healthier. Knowing that the, um, the give back for somebody else is going to look different than what the give back has looked like for you. I'm curious, what has it done for you personally in the way that you relate to the business and how you show up and how you kind of get out of bed and the energy that you have? What does it do for you personally to, to have this kind of meaning and significance behind the work that you're doing? Right. I like that question. And it's one that, you know, I get to think a lot about. It's probably an answer that's changed a bit. But what hasn't changed is that I, at growing up, I lived in 23 different houses before I went to college. And I grew up with sort of not insignificant housing instability. 
and insecurity. And I was really not cool with that uh, as time went on. And I realized that I wanted an abundance of security and safety for myself. But a feature of my personality is to say, well, I don't want things just for me. I want to share those things. I want other people to have a sense of safety and security. And the real estate market um, and real estate in general is a good fit for me in that way because what we do as property managers touches people's lives every single day. And so we get choices in terms of being providers of housing around being caring and uh, having a sense of empathy and and making sure people have dignified housing and dignified experiences, that that's a choice. And to say like what we do matters every single day, um, I get I get to wake up every day and say my work makes a difference, mm. and I get to remind my team that their work makes a difference too. Mm. That everybody's touched by property management. I mean, it has mm. such a bad rap, and it deserves it for the most part. But it doesn't need to stay that way. So the industry can transform itself if it chooses. We're everywhere. Um, and so to sort of stand out and stand up for what we believe in as a company feels good. And I'm happy that I made the choice to do that as early as I could in starting the company. Hmm. So when you think about that impact on the community, let's say for somebody in a different market, let's say somebody that's not left-leaning, let's say somebody that's in the Midwest, Heartland, they want to have and feel that connection to what they're doing in property management. It doesn't feel that way. Feels like a means to an end, way to make a buck. But if that meaning could be there, it'd be great. But maybe what they make up is it's not that important. It's just it's it's a job. It's you know what, what is what is the connection? What do you see that you feel like some of your peers don't that you think is would be universally uh, accessible to the majority of the industry if they if they bothered to like weigh into what's really going on in front of them. I mean, we are tending to communities because we're managing the housing that makes those communities up. And to be disengaged from the resident experience, uh, the community experience, the city experience, whatever it is, is a missed opportunity. Mm. Um, and and I, in my opinion, and for me, it's a moral obligation. So um, there, there are, there's also a strong business case for for being as visible as you can be in your community, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like community engagement isn't just self, you know, selfless. It's you know, it's like how you're building reputation, how you're showing up as a contributing member of X Y Z fill in the blank. If it's Dayton, Ohio, or if it's you know Austin, Texas, there is somebody you can tap, or an organization, or something that that community really needs that you can help with. That could be perfectly apolitical. Um, there are a lot of pretty neutral things you can do that make a difference to a lot of people mm-hmm. that are not, um, you know, divisive or mm-hmm. create conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and focus on that. Um, and focus on the fact that, like, brand identity and visibility is what everybody wants. Well, you don't just, that's not a passive activity. <laughs> you have to go out and present yourself to the world. And you get a choice about how you do that. And, you know, for leaders who have gotten stuck in the, in the weeds or eating dirt, <laughs> sometimes call it, they're not, they're not zooming out and saying, what's the opportunity here? And if I stay down here in the weeds and the dirt, what am I missing in terms of that opportunity? Where is the leverage that I have to grow substantially in my business? Um, you know, the profit coach, he, it was, is Chris's name? Danny. Danny, yeah. 
he always gives a great presentation, right? And and what he's telling people through spreadsheets is like you need to think bigger and bolder and understand that you can make an investment here and it's going to come out over mm-hmm. there much bigger if you're being thoughtful about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And some investments are financial and others, you know, are social or political or whatever it is or community based and, you know, we um we go out of our way to orient almost all of our marketing dollars to just offering community sponsorship and support because I'd rather give the children's hospital $2,000 for their event where they're all going to be like, I'm so glad that they, you know, supported us. Like that's a relationship we're helping to create versus a Facebook ad buy. It's it's fascinating. It's like you've gone with a mini brand strategy. Is it fair to say that, that, that flock is a mini brand within Nest DC? At this point, which is sad, it's not sad. It's it, it. It was a. I had to just like cross the bridge on it. Um, Nest is a mini brand of Flock now, so we had to like, <laughs> we had to sort of shrink the visibility of Nest in order to gr- expand the visibility. The, of the Flock. totality of the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. I, I guess my question is within the DC market. How like what is the experience that you have in terms of name recognition and awareness like I, I assume people are just kind of generally aware of that company even if they haven't had an actual transactional experience with the organization yes we are very visible i mean we're just all over the place from our social media to um sponsoring concerts and the you know these the, the the what's the name of the concert series where they just like pop up in weird locations we we hosted one of those we're hosting nonprofit. uh um, meetings for folks. We're sponsoring murals. We have branded cars everywhere. We give people tons of swag. So, so we have people that say, I didn't know what you were, but I saw your birds and they were really cute. And so I looked you up on the internet. Like that happens all the time. I have people send me pictures of our logo from all over the place. I'm like, I, it's funny. Like they just saw it in the wild. They're like, Oh my, I saw the bird. You know, it's like, um, people identify with the branding. Um, it's intentionally not a house, <laughs> um, and houses can be cute too. But um, I think the idea of there being some curiosity around what we're trying to do as a brand and some flexibility—like I didn't want a brand that tied us down to any particular thing, right? So you can be really creative with birds. There are a million of them, um, and you can sort of come up with all kinds of fun, punny bird things to say. And as clearly, well. you, clearly, you have. Yeah. Let's talk about some nuts and bolts of property management. Mm-hmm. What about your organization and the way that you run your shop? on an operational level, do you think uh, empowers and gives you an extra edge? Mm, I trust my team to do their best work, and then I step back. Um, you have to be really clear about giving people the opportunity to carve out their own leadership style, to manage things with their own sense of style, um, based on data and all the things that you're tracking over time. Um, but I have a really, really smart and sophisticated leadership team. Uh, we're highly disciplined in the way that we work together. We're very clear about setting goals and expectations, about forecasting what the vision is for the company. We are transparent in, in deal- detailing that back to our, our team members. Um, our messaging is really clear. We leverage technology all day long. I mean, anything from you know, using Monday.com boards, which has been life-changing for us from cl- cross-collaboration to you know, making sure that as we're in the Appfolio ecosystem, we're using it fully to um, you know, using uh, remote talent to having you know, internal wikis where we track everything about the company that anybody might need to use. 
or access to, like we're making those investments constantly. I was thinking about just this year we moved payroll system. In the last two years, we've moved payroll systems. We've started a foundation. We uh, have like um, we've gotten national press. We decided to like just change up the way we do all of our accounting and like remodel the entire way that we're managing a lot of our, our financials. Um, we, I mean, you can you can poke at anything in the company, and we're willing to change it completely quickly. So the the theme operationally for us is if there's a smarter, better, faster way of doing it, by all means, that's your responsibility. <laughs> like, Don't waste time when you don't need to. And it may be that what you were doing a year ago and your system or method of doing that worked really well. And now we've either grown that method or there's a new technology that can offer an assist and it doesn't need to be as burdensome. I, I think back to the time when I was watching uh, we've always had interns, and I was watching the interns wander around with like pieces of paper and taped receipts on them. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, how much money are we spending on taping receipts to pieces of paper and then photocopying them?" Um, and I'm like, "Some tech bro has solved this problem for us." And it was Expensify, right? So Expensify, which we used to, became yeah. you know a really great tool for us. It it. It reduced paper waste. I mean, it had it sort of checked a lot of boxes until it didn't. We're like, you know what? Expensify is actually not the right tool for us. We're moving to Divi. We want something integrated with our actual corporate spending, and that resolved all these problems. Um, so we're we don't need to stay stuck in a system because we we took the time and trouble mm -hmm. to uh, onboard ourselves or go through that that process or journey. If there's a better one down the road, I mean, we really need to be as flexible as we can be as a company. It's interesting that you say that. What kind of what I pick up on is the detachment of not identifying with the thing that you built, you get the benefit, but don't be overly attached to it. Be willing to change and break things and constantly rebirth. Has delegation come naturally to you or has it been evolving art form for you? I needed to acknowledge where my greater skill sets were and be comfortable allowing other people to do what they do best so I could do what I do best. And I do have a vision of service. I'm very, very committed to the highest quality customer service experience you can have and to servant leadership and to all things service, right? So if I perceive or see that's not going well, it's really hard for me not to jump in and try and fix it. But I also know that we have done such a good job of um, underscoring why our culture is so important and why the service culture is so important and why the way we do our work is so important all the way down to you cannot send an email unless there's a salutation full stop and we have draft salutation like starter sentences so people get comfortable creating a rapport with people this is mm -hmm. a relational business mm -hmm. um, and so we've given people a lot of opportunity I think to to build those relationships and I know that is the value system you know up and down and and from one side to the other in terms of the organization. And if we keep ensuring that, that we're consistent with that, then everything should be fine, <laughs> to be honest. And I can start focusing on where's the next opportunity? How can we you know, continue to keep people really inspired by the work and the impact that we're having? Um, and attract new talent and attract new investors and attract new clients. And, and you know, so that, that's where I do my best work. And there are other people on my team that do things I could do really pretty well. <laughs> um, and really pretty well isn't what I'm aiming for. Uh, so, you know, if I chose to get really granular and stay in the weeds around things and micromanage, then we'd only be as big as my ego, <laughs> which is pretty big on a certain days. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, you can't grow bigger than yourself if you're in charge of everything. Um, and I really wanted to, I really wanted a big successful company is what I'm aiming for.
Yeah, amen. Well, aren't we all? Aren't we all? It's, it's interesting, the, the thought of what happens when what you want requires a level of sacrifice that you're not living, willing to provide. We're always having to kind of true up our aspirations against what we're willing to give. And mm-hmm. for me, a lot of that has resulted in shifting my identity, death and rebirth over and over and over again to align and be congruent with what I really want. And that's one of the things that I love the most about entrepreneurship is the focus internally on the art of being instead of the externalization about what's happening to me is to just take maximum responsibility responsibility internally. Yeah. It's interesting how many careers I've had as I've owned this company. Yeah, exactly. Within the same company, within the same thing, different phases, different epochs. Yeah, I mean, I did, it, it's, it's truly wild. I mean, there was a point at which I replaced the toilets in the portfolio and did all the painting, and I will offer that my greatest skill is painting. Mm. I am really good at it. Mm. Uh, until finally someone who was smart enough to say, boss lady, you, you got to put the paintbrush down. I know you want to make that 300 bucks or whatever it is, but we're sacrificing some other things because you're, you know, you have paint in your hair. So you can't do that anymore. Someone else can do that. We need you to do what nobody else can. You know what my guilty pleasure is? Graphic design. Hmm. Just enjoy it. It's fun. Good use of my time? No. Yeah. Shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But it's kind of a guilty pleasure. Yeah. I mean, you can allow yourself one or two of those. Sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, but if it's stealing all your time and it's coming at the expense of your staff feeling sane, I think it's probably a good idea to... <laughs> push it off your plate uh, and give them what they need and sometimes that's not you doing what you enjoy most to be honest and then I think during the pandemic was tricky for me a lot of my work was very solitary during that time and I worked best in a team-based environment but what I needed to do professionally were, were things that required just a lot of thought um, and alone time and not instant gratification mm. which I think entrepreneurs really like instant gratification. And there's always an opportunity for a win when you're an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of, most careers mm-hmm. don't offer the win every day. You can have a win every day. It can be paired with a loss. It can be paired with all the drama that goes with it. But like the idea that you're after that win, it's sort of that dopamine rush. Pavlovian relationship. Exactly. Like I did this and this, this thing happened and I needed to do work that was very um, impactful internally for us. I needed to like... We needed to work a lot on creating continuity among the brands. We needed to create a lot of content for the company. We wrote a book. Um, All those things required a lot of alone time and not instant. I can tell you writing a book is not instantly gratifying. (laughs) There's nothing about it (laughs) that meets this sort of like inherent biological need I have for that instant gratification and those wins and the, you know, I had to kind of learn to live without that because I needed to do what was best for the company. that's my responsibility. So it was a weird year, plus two other years, I think. <laughs> a year and a half, two years. Yeah, it's been a weird couple of years for sure. I think that's fair to say. I'd love to end it on kind of a random note. Lisa, what's one piece of advice you have on negotiating and closing deals? I experience you, and clearly you are. You're somebody that enjoys the art of the deal, making things happen. What's, what's one thing that's really helped you in getting deals done? Listening. I mean, listening will get you farther faster for the most part. It's a hard skill to learn. Um, But I think really understanding what it is your client needs and what the pain points are, if you can solve that, you're good. Um, You're not going to figure out what that is unless you're listening. So that's that's number one, uh, my 
my piece of advice around that. I did fundraising for a long time. I guess I still do fundraising. And listening and leaning in and thinking about what that person's saying and identifying them with them and like sort of having empathy and putting yourself in their shoes. Like people want to do business with people that care about them. And so show you care. And and that that is always the best pathway to not just profitability and deal making, but to strong relationships that you can build on uh, and nurture over time. So I, I'm always very much about people coming to the table and leaving really happy after the deal's made. I don't want the best deal. I want a good deal. You don't want to squeeze every last drop of leverage out of it. No. Make it a win on both sides. I'll have people that will negotiate salary, which I always appreciate. Um, I think it's a good, it's a good, Mm-hmm. It's good, right? You're investing in yourself. If you're investing in yourself, you're going to come to work a stronger, better person. I had, you know, most of the time when someone gives us a range, we just go to the middle. We don't go to the bo- bottom. We go to the middle and we can negotiate from there. But I don't want to save $2,000 on team members. It's just not where you're going to get your money back. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you for that share. Lisa, it's a pleasure to be in the industry with people like you that are bringing some completely different energy. There's so much variety in the industry and you're definitely adding to it. (laughs) I enjoy getting to see what you're creating and building. I'm rooting for you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.